Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's show, Amazon goes on the hunt. GameStop becomes the target. And Hollywood heads towards the borderlands. All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, The Lakers Fast Break, and Game Source. Thank you so much for listening to all of our great shows. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend, he is our own vault hunter of Pop Culture Cosmos. Got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. His amazing book, Congratulations, You Suck, and his awesome podcast, Topic Apocalypse. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? Just busting open vaults, you know, exploring the planets, adventuring around with my good pal Claptrap. There you go. Well, that means you're in the middle of the Borderlands. And we'll talk about Borderlands coming up here in a sec. But before I do, I want to tell you this cute little story here. I'm reading on the internet here, the intranet, I should say. The old-fashioned intranet. And I'm looking at an article that says Martin Scorsese sent the director of the Oscar-winning Parasite, Bung Joon-ho, a congratulatory letter. He said, quote, you've done well, now rest, but don't rest for too long. So basically, in in a sense, he said, quote, you've done well. But my question to you is, do you think Martin Scorsese will ever send that kind of note to Kevin Feige? No, never. He will never go back on his comments. He has too much pride at stake here. He won't. No, he won't even go near that. Well, we'll say a auditory congratulatory note to Kevin Feige and said and say this for what he's done so far in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well done on behalf of the pop culture cosmos. But we got a great episode we've got coming up for you today. We're going to be talking Borderlands, the movie. Got a director. We'll talk about that coming up here in a sec. Plus Uncharted. We'll give you an update on that movie. Plus we're talking Hunters. That comes out this weekend on Amazon Prime. We're going to talk about a couple of GameStop exposés, which came out on the same day from two different outlets within minutes of each other. Was there something going on? We'll talk about that as well. One of my favorite, sorry to say this, Rob McCallum, docu-series is going on right now, and that's on HBO. It's McMillions. 
If you haven't seen it yet, this is really cool. I want to talk a little bit about that later on the show. And Westworld Season 3. A lot of cool stuff finally happening in Westworld. Will it bring viewers back into the world of Westworld? We'll talk about that coming up later in the program as well. But first, my friend, Eli Roth, a name you probably know more about as someone who might scare you, you know, Hostel and some other graphic movies that he's made in a sense of horror or just really the stuff that's that's on the edge out there. He's been tabbed as the director for the upcoming Borderlands movie. So I ask you, my friend, as a Borderlands fanatic that you are, who's played through the entire series, does this excite you? Or is it something that makes you kind of nervous that it might veer off into a different direction? Yeah, it's a great question. I've actually been pondering this all day. Eli Roth, as a filmmaker, yes, he knows what he's doing. But his movies, a lot of them, I find myself unable to watch them. Like, they are so just gratuitously violent and i know that that would be a good fit for borderlands but my hope would be that he doesn't take it beyond what it is you know i don't want to see a scene where there's like a psycho gnawing on some guy's hands that's chained up to like a fence or something but he's still alive like i don't need to see that because you can take borderlands one of two ways you can take it the ultra violent way or you can take it to a pg-13 level and make it more acceptable for an entire audience I would say, personally, you should take it to more of a PG-13 level because I feel with the humor that the series has and the personality that it has, it's more endearing to that type of atmosphere. But having Eli Roth in the director's seat, I'm kind of worried it's just going to go to an ultra-violent R rating, and I don't think that's the style of Borderlands. I don't think that's the style they should take. Yeah, okay, so Borderlands is known for its gratuitousness, its screenwriting, like its comedy and, and subject... Fourth crude, wall stuff type fourth deal. Fourth wall, crude subject matter. And it's also known for being that game that like is over the top in every manner. And like I can totally see that being an R movie. Yes, they could pull it off in a PG-13 movie, but I feel like it could be a very tasteful R movie, if that makes sense. Like It doesn't need to be... Just heads exploding everywhere and unnecessary gore having. For instance, like Eli Roth's, like his movie, he did Hostel. He did the one where the the uh, nature people get stranded in the Amazon and the that those people eat them or whatever. Like his movies, they don't need to be what they are. Like it's he's so obsessed with blood and guts and just things that are very hard to watch that that could be a boon. You know, it could be something like people would go to the movie and say. I didn't need to see that. Like it, it's, it's very dangerous giving somebody like him a property like Borderlands because it could be good, but it could also go the complete other direction, you know. And I, I would hope that Gearbox would have a lot of creative control over what he's doing because he feels like somebody, if he got full control, like it would turn into something that it'd just be two, you know, an hour and a half to two hours of of blood and guts and it would get gratuitous and hard to watch after a while. Well, the Borderlands games themselves are rated mature. I get that. But to me, whenever I play through the games, it to me it seems like it's a very soft mature, like a soft R. So I, I see it if you just make a couple tweaks here and there, if you, you made a movie out of it and whatnot, I think you caters more, teeters more on the PG-13 side rather than just go an R to be an R. I just, to me, I think you wouldn't hurt the quality of it. You wouldn't hurt the perception of it. 
I think you could tweak it into a very, you know, hard PG-13 and keep it as a PG-13 and make it more acceptable to a larger audience. Although the line between PG-13 and R and what people are willing to go see, that line is becoming blurred more and more each and every year. I mean, we're seeing Bad Boys for Life. That, that was rated R. That did extremely well. Birds of Prey, unfortunately, as an R-rated movie, did not do so well. But we've seen where the Joker weighed over a billion dollars. So that line is becoming blurred when it comes to PG-13 or R. So maybe I shouldn't harp on that too much. But I'm thinking for this type of film and the way it's created, if you want to make it anywhere near the style of the games and in that world, I think it caters more to a PG-13 rating as opposed to making it something of a gratuitous, violent R rating type deal. I just, I just don't think it needs to go in that route to make it full of, uh, you know, that type of deal. It just doesn't seem to me like if you're making a Call of Duty movie, like there, there's been rumors of a Call of Duty movie forever now. That to me is an R rating. That to me is something that I think you're just going to have guys going out and just be your basic mission type deal and that is you know going to use a lot of swearing a lot of gratuitous violence things of that nature that justifies the r rating when it comes to borderlands you see a lot of comedy you see a lot of styles you see a lot of sci-fi and fantasy i don't think you really need to go ahead and push the limits on that one just to have an r rating yes and no i feel like with a pg-13 if it if it needs to be r-rated then yeah, but if it's, you know, also I feel like PG-13 would be fine, but it would, might also restrict what they'd want to do, especially if you're hiring a director like Eli Roth, you're not going to be making a PG-13 movie. I feel like it could succeed as a PG-13 movie, but again, like it seems like just out the gate here, they're looking for something that is a hard R rating. The question is, is it going to be a tasteful R or is it going to be something that just is you walk out of the movie theaters going, geez, I, I just, I did not even need to. You just watch Rambo in space. I just watched Rambo in space with, uh, with robots. So, yeah, that's, so that's something that obviously is going to be the question coming up when you have Eli Roth as a director. Uh, Mind you, like I said, I I don't think that there's any way, shape or form that's, that's going to happen to be a PG 13 type movie. Now that Eli Roth is in there, I agree with you 100%. I just wish they would have gone ahead and thought about the series as a whole. Because to me, the whole game is not... It's just not as as hard or violent or an extremely mature rated game as much as in the sense of some of the other shooters that are out there. I just I just don't hold it in that same type of regard. So maybe that's just me. I, you know, I think it's more, it's closer to a T. It's right on that edge between a T and an M for me as far as rating wise. So I was thinking maybe you could go ahead and do the same thing and make it more to an acceptable larger audience than you, what you would go ahead and do for maybe if it's a, it's a hard, straight hard R. Because this is a property that while it's familiar to you and I as gamers, it's not familiar to the general consumer out there so you want to try and introduce something like that and i'm not sure introducing it as an r-rated movie is going to make it acceptable to a larger audience yeah that's that's a that's a very fair point okay look at this borderlands fans as we've learned with the whole like epic store versus steam store thing like they are a very hard bunch of people to please like they are very particular about what goes into their games where they're sold and 
all that. So it's hard. Like you, you really with the pro. This almost feels like a Star Wars property to me. Like you can't win. You have to do all the steps in the right way in order to please people. And you know, I don't think that this is a movie that will be made for people who aren't fans of the game. But you know, you're right. It does need to be done if it's going to succeed monetarily. It needs to be done in a way that could be a big marketing thing for the game as well like you know you go to see this movie you enjoy it then oh hey i'm gonna go check out the games or if you're uh someone who plays the games and you want to walk out going oh that was kind of a uh a fun walk back into pandora again so it's just they got to be careful with this very careful especially since you know we're talking about video game adaptations and i'm curious if sonic had anything to i see both sides of the coin but Borderlands is also one of those properties that is not very universal. You know, it has a very particular set of fans. That is true. And I think like you were mentioning previously that you were wondering if the success of Sonic the Hedgehog, and this is something we speculated over the past week or so, that the success of Sonic the Hedgehog, if that spurred into motion all these video game ideas. I mean, we talked about Crossfire from Sony also talked about the Uncharted movie before, which we'll talk about here again in a sec. But we've also talked about other ideas that we've gone over being great video game ideas. And Borderlands is something we didn't even mention that is something that is going to be, I, I believe, it'd be a good idea and a good basis for possibly even a full run for a movie series, a trilogy, or even more if you go ahead and play it outright. I'm not sure if Eli Roth is the guy you want heading that up. You know, it depends on what you see the series as, what you see the movie as, what you see the video game as. If you see it in one form or fashion, you see it as a one-off movie. If you see it in another fashion, which I think you and I do, I think you see it as something, as a whole universe you could build and you could create, similar to what we've talked about with the Mass Effect series, something you could create into a full-fledged, film franchise but again we'll wait and see what eli roth has planned for the borderlands movie coming up when he goes ahead and starts production and then maybe when the trailer comes out we'll revisit this conversation on another day about what could be coming up for borderlands what are your thoughts out there on the borderlands movie and eli roth sitting in the director's chair share us your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. Well, Josh, I want to ask you real quick, speaking of movies, and we just talked about Uncharted real quickly, and we have over the past week, it's come more and more into light. Again, based off the success of another video game movie, Sonic the Hedgehog, like we were talking about, as it nears the $100 million mark here in the United States and over $200 million worldwide. Good news for fans out there with an update on the Uncharted movie. It is going into production in about four weeks from now which is a great sign for you and I, Josh, and other fans out there of the Uncharted series because we've been talking about this as a possible movie forever and it's gone through like 300 directors and stars who have to come in, come out, left, and we've had our own ideas on who should play Nathan Drake and all that. 
I'm still sad that that's not going to be the case. But again, it is Tom Holland. His name is pushing this idea. It's pushing it with Sony. It's going in production in four weeks. And one of the latest comments he said this week was that the movie is getting a lot of inspiration from one of the Uncharted games, which is great because that's where it should come from. But the movie it's getting some inspiration from is Uncharted 4 of Thief's End, which is right now, as of now, which I don't think will stay that way, but as of now, the final entry in the story of Nathan Drake. But Tom Holland's young. It's going to be a Mark Wahlberg playing a younger Sully. So I ask you, my friend, is this something that's kind of out of the blue, that's not really exactly the best way to go about the Uncharted series? Because I'm kind of confused on how you would have a younger Tom Holland playing a younger Nathan Drake I just don't understand what they're going ahead and what they're thinking when it comes to the Uncharted movie, if that's the case. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me that they're working backwards, and maybe that's because there is more of an origin story in, in Uncharted 4. So no, in Uncharted 3 has the origin story. Well, it does, but there's also like the story the brother. between him and his brother. So I'm wondering if they want to have that storyline revolving around the brother. And also, we have to remember, like, Tom Holland is not a good pick for Nathan Drake, you know, and like he's a good actor. He's definitely a great actor, but he just he doesn't have what it t- he's not Nathan Drake, you know, and I'm, I'm I know he's in that movie with Daisy. Was it Daisy Ridley? When the, the, Preach, my friend. Preach, my friend. It just it it feels weird to me, you know, and my hope would be that if this movie is successful, that he'll grow into the part. But it's just he's not funny enough, like he's not sarcastic enough. It just seems to me like he played the game and said, hey, I'd like to do a movie off of this. Yeah, or Sony really, since he's... Because he has a clout with with Spider-Man. Yeah, and Sony, you know, he's Sony's golden boy right now. But yeah, I just like, it feels weird to me. So it would make sense since he's so young that they would want to do some kind of origin story. Because if you look at the Uncharted games, uh, Nathan Drake is... He's in his 30s at the, like, the the most, you know, minimum of, of ages. So, I mean, I would hope that they would build on to the franchise a little bit bigger. But, I mean, from that point, maybe they could move the other games forward. Because games have really great stories. It's just, you know, what what do they want to do after this? Is this going to succeed? Is this a great move for a movie that has been in production hell for so long? But that's the thing. Uncharted 4 deals with... Nathan Drake and his brother at an older age than what closely resembles. Uh, I mean, he's actually older than that. He's at a weird, kind, he's at a different kind of age where in Uncharted 3, they go back to a young, young Nathan Drake where he's just starting out in that world and he meets up with Sully. That would have been a better start. And that's what I thought they were going to go with when they first mentioned Tom Holland in the lead role as Nathan Drake as opposed to what we're seeing now with Uncharted 4. Uncharted 4, the scenes with Nathan Drake and his brother, they're at a little bit older age than what Tom Holland is. It, you know what I'm saying? It just it doesn't seem to fit with what's going on. I said before, Scott Eastwood, You know, I know he's not a household name, the son of Clint Eastwood. He's done a few movies, the Fast and Furious movies. He's got the look of Nathan Drake. He can be arrogant like Nathan Drake. He can throw jokes and things of that nature. 
I'm sure he would have loved the opportunity to go ahead and, and get this role. I thought personally he would have been most effective for that type of role just because he fits the the persona and look of what Nathan Drake is all about right now. Plus he's in his mid thirties. So it makes perfect sense to go ahead and put him. Cause if you get this into a successful franchise, he would be apt to be able to do three or four more. But then again, you have Tom Holland and I understand you want to grow him into the role, but it just seems like an awful fit where his age is because you, you can't go ahead and picture him as a really young Drake. But then the, the time that they spent in jail, him and his brother we're at an older age than what he is now. So it just it kind of just doesn't fit with the whole theme of what we're talking about when it concerns the Uncharted series. So again, I agree with you 100%. Tom Holland is not a right fit for this role, but I think they're just going to go ahead with Sony and uh, the script and all that. And since production's coming up in four weeks, they're just going to go ahead and make up you know, Nathan Drake and use just some of the elements of his character that are so endearing to us, just basically mold it around Tom Holland and make it like we talked about before with Al Pacino, not having the actor mold himself around the character rather than the character mold around Tom Holland. But here, this leads me to my next question. Why make it an uncharted film, though? Why not just make it some kind of like action adventure, Indiana Jones type thing? Well, I can tell you, Sony's been dying to use that franchise. And, you know, I, I get that. And it's gone through several directors. I think, what, six or seven directors it's gone through. It's gone through everyone from Seth Rogen to, you know, to so many other different names that are out there. And they've all come with different scripts, different ideas, different approaches to it. And it just seems to me that, like you said, it could have done it under whatever name they wanted to give it outside of the Uncharted series. And they probably would have been better off because you don't have to tie it down to whatever fans' expectations are of what Nathan Drake should be on the big screen. Like mine, for instance, I know exactly what I would like to see out of Nathan Drake on the big screen, and it looks like right now in Tom Holland that we're not going to get it. I would say, to be honest with you, Mark Wahlberg is probably a better Nathan Drake than Tom Holland is as an option as Nathan Drake right now. Well, I'm I'm surprised after that short film that Nathan Fillion did that they did not pick him for the role. They did not move forward with that. I'm curious. I'm I wonder what happened behind the scenes after he put that out. But yeah, it just it feels like there's a lot better choices. Like, and it this is nothing against Tom Holland. He doesn't he doesn't have like the the sarcasm and the wit. He doesn't have the like the physique of Nathan Drake. He doesn't look anything like Nathan Drake. And it's I mean, do you actually picture him punching, uh, you know, so many guys out, all the bad guys out that that, you you know, that you do in the Uncharted games? I just don't see him picture him doing that without having some sort of excuse or thing like, for instance, getting bit by a radioactive spider. Yeah, yeah. He's he plays a good teenager, but he does not play a good explorer, if that makes sense. Yeah, it just it's puzzling. And we're going to see it anyways because it's Uncharted and the fact that we love the series so much. But again, as we moaned and moaned and groaned over this over the past two years since we heard Tom Holland's name attached to this, it's basically had us scratching our heads. And now as it gets closer to the production start of it and it's going to be released early next year, it's becoming a reality. And I'm in a way thankful that the Uncharted series finally will be becoming a reality Will I be this enthused by it this time next year? I'm very apprehensive about that because 
I'm not sure exactly if this is a really good fit between Tom Holland and the Uncharted movie. But again, I got to try and have an open mind. Very nervous, however, because it's my favorite video game series of all time. So you can forgive me if I'm just a little bit apprehensive. What are your thoughts out there on Tom Holland? That's Nathan Drake with the Uncharted movie coming up real soon. It's going to production in four weeks and it'll be coming out in early 2021. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. My friend, before we hit the halfway mark on our show, I just wanted to ask you real quick, did you get a chance to see the Westworld Season 3 trailer? I was really enthused by it. It looks really good, and there's a lot of nice things to say about it. There's, it's an all-star cast. I don't know. It's actually getting me back interested once again in the Westworld series because Season 2 was kind of a downer, and I, and I just left halfway through. So uh, what are your thoughts on Westworld Season 3 and the trailer? Does that get your interest back up into the series? Yes, and also no. Here's the thing. West, with Westworld, what made me really into it was the whole concept of these machines in this uh, this theme park and also like the Western aspect of it. And now that it's kind of it, it's shifted genres, like it's become something completely different from what it was originally intended to be. Like it went from being, you know, this thing about anima, I guess, animatronics gone wrong to something more about like life and evolution. And then went from being a Western to being something more of like the Matrix and Terminator mixed together. A lot of mystery surrounding it. I am interested in it. I definitely do want to watch it but i feel like it's become something completely different from what westworld's first season was like it's changed genre oh it definitely has it's become something completely different when it was this controlled almost theme park type setting and after that i i think really for me outside the season two kind of was like eh so i didn't even finish it but season one the way it ended on such a a weird note as far as everybody get blown away, including Anthony Hopkins. And it was kind of an up and down series so far that first season. I was like, uh, you know, I'm not sure back and forth whether I really wanted to go ahead and continue the series. And it kind of just like teetered off for me in season two. But season three for me seems like more upbeat, action oriented, uh, you know, something that is, like you said, on a different level than the actual concept of Westworld itself. And this is something, you know, you base it off the old movie. They didn't even go anywhere as far as near this in the older movie, you know, that's based loosely off of when you consider what happened in the original Westworld movie. So this is something entirely different. And I'm glad that they made the call to go ahead and expand this universe even more. But it's really something interesting. And again, HBO's power in getting all these named stars, that I think is the most impressive thing because... Aaron Paul for Breaking Bad is now part of this all-star cast. And it looks like it's something that is going to be really good. I like the dynamic that it's now potentially Thandie Newton is going to be an android that was once looking and searching and wanting to go ahead and explore her own individuality, ending up betraying the androids that she was partnering and lining up herself with in the first place. So it's beginning to look like that. So I'm very interested to see how that happens and, and what that dynamic is. But yes, it looks like something that's going to be very interesting to see if there's a 
revolution in hand. And this is something that we could have talked more about if Blade Runner 2049 had or ever got a sequel is something that maybe we could have seen more of that type of dynamic in the Blade Runner universe as well. So I'm hopeful that it will go ahead and execute a lot better than what we've seen in season one, season two. But I want to hear your thoughts even more on exactly where you think it should go when it concerns what's going on in Westworld season three. So I would like to see, uh, what's his name? The guy, the doctor that would found out he was a robot in the last season. Um, I'd like to see his character come full circle. I really like the security guard that's been like consistent through all of them. He's actually, I loved, um, you know, the dynamic between them two in the last season. I'd like to see more of that. Uh, what I would like, I don't know. I would love to see, I don't, I'm sorry. The names are leaving me right now, but the. Well, Evan Rachel Wood is, the, is the, in the yes. title role. And then you're Evan, talking about Jeffrey Wright earlier. As the yeah, one who Jeffrey finds Wright, out he's I, an android. Yeah, so I would love to see um, Evan Rachel Wood and Thandi Newton kind of become adversaries, not adversaries, but enemies. You know, I'd like to see them kind of create these factions and facing off against each other. That would be really cool to me. Maybe she has this realization that, like, yeah, this 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 girl needs to be stopped. You know, and like, I'd love to see them team up. Other than that, like, I don't have any expectations, man. I don't. I don't even know what they're doing, where they're going. Obviously. There's not enough of them to to take over the world. So what I don't know what's happening with that, but I'm definitely interested to see where the next step goes. And Ed Harris is the man in black. He was prominently featured in the trailer with Evan Rachel Wood. So yes, yeah, seeing that dynamic, exactly what happens, especially emanating from full circle from what happened in season one. It looks like it's going into a very strange place between those two. And you're right. The adversarial relationship, I should say, between Thandie Newton that is created against Evan Rachel Wood when there was actually sort of going to be like they were aligned together, looked like they were going to be aligned together, is very interesting. So I'm I'm hopeful that this will start executing better on a larger or longer basis than what I've seen where it's been basically hit and miss for the first two seasons. I know this is HBO's big show Again, season one and season two has its ups and downs, but you know what? I'm going to go ahead and give season three of Westworld a chance. Hopefully everyone else will as well. What are your thoughts out there on Westworld season three? The trailer's out. Have you seen it? Does it get you back into the whole realm of Westworld? We want to hear your thoughts. Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. Well, my friend, we're past the halfway mark on our show. And there's still so much to talk about. One thing we saw before we went on the air is something that's coming out on Amazon Prime this weekend. And that is Hunters. Starring Al Pacino. Nice cast and crew there along with him. Basically going after the Nazis in a what a 70s type setting it looks like. So I ask you, 
Is this something that really intrigues you? Because what we've seen so far looks like it's going to be a hunt and, and kill type scenario. We're trying to get rid of the Nazis one by one by one, trying to go ahead and do it in the cloak of secrecy while the U.S. government uncovers all this step by step and all that. They try to go ahead and uncover this battle between the hunters and the hunted. And don't forget on top of that, the Nazis in some form or fashion are still looking to go ahead and try and form some alliance and organization and maybe possibly try to go ahead and wreak havoc upon the world once again. Yeah, it's got a it's got this like slight Wolfenstein vibe to it. I don't know if you felt that when you're watching it, but it reminded me of like it a is. mix of Wolfenstein's like uh story and humor with the boys. You know, them them hunting down the Nazis and things like that. I, I think Logan Lerman's a really good actor. Like I thought he was great in Perks of Being a Wallflower, and it'll be interesting to see whether or not he can pull off a part that's a little more violent and serious. But and, it, and it does have that kind of setup that the Boyds did in its in its first season where you right. have the unwilling victim basically pulled into the type of scenario. So it may be at least at the start been there done that type deal similar to what we saw in the boys yeah right exactly it looks good i mean i i love the idea of like it also has kind of this like snatch feel to it you know how like they in the movie snatch opens up and you have the humor you know i hope it has like an overarching story you know it's not just about them hunting nazis because i feel like that's been done so many times before i want to know what makes this show special I'm entertained by the the trailer and I'm into it, but I just want to know like what's going to make this stand out as opposed to like Man in the High Castle or The Boys or you know any of the or Wolfenstein or whatever. What's going to make this one stand out? Like why is this one worthy of my time? It's it looks fun, but what does it have that these other shows don't? Because this whole like hunting Nazi theme, like it's it's entertaining, yeah, but it, it's been done a lot in a lot of different mediums. And I think it has to be the subplot of the Nazis trying to form an organization once again that will, like I said before, wreak havoc upon the world. I think you see little bits of glimpses of that in the trailer where it looks like they're forming, again, something that was trying, at least through nefarious means, underhanded means, under-the-radar means, to go ahead and undermine the American civilization in the trailer I think it looks like it's they're going ahead and, and organizing some sort of type of front that they're going to go ahead and if the hunters don't stop them, that will succeed in a way that will be you know very bad to the country, at least as far as from the storyline standpoint. So, you know, it's something that, you know, I'm interested in seeing. But again, like you said, you don't want it to be just okay, let's kill our Nazi for the week and that's it. You know, we wanted to have something more of substance and it looks like that's probably the way that they're going to go. And You're right. Wolfenstein did those themes very well on the what-if scenario and how you fight against it in their two games that were rebooted. I want to see something like, you know, done not in that same fashion, so to speak, but something done in the context where it makes me care about the overarching theme, about how the hunters can go ahead and stop not only just the one individual that they're looking at, but also as well the organization that's behind it and how they can go ahead and stop it as a whole. So I'm thinking that at least I'm going to give this a chance to start off with, whether or not I stay with it 
is going to be up for debate because you and I both have such a affection for the boys. And if this is just going to be like the boys light, I think you and I are going to have so much trouble trying to stick through it because of the fact that we're going to see so many things that are similar to what the boys did, but the boys did it so much better. Yeah, the boys did it. And, and I'm, I'm wondering if like this was greenlit by it's Amazon, right? Yeah, I'm wondering if this was greenlit by Amazon just because of the way it does feel so much like what they did in the boys. I don't know, man. Like the the it it does now that now that I'm thinking about it, it does have a like more similarities to the boys than I than I care to have. You know, what makes this unique is the big question here. The writing looks good, the editing looks good, but that might just I am interested. You know, it's got that unknown factor to it. So I'm interested in what this could possibly be. What is it that uh what is the overarching story? You know, there's a lot of elements to it that I'm fascinated in at the moment. And that's something that I think that you and I both are going to be looking at it with those tinted colored glasses that we're going to be seeing it as. Are we going to be seeing this as a similarity to the boys? Hopefully not. Hopefully it'll create another type of platform that'll go ahead and keep us interested all the way through. Whether it does so remains to be seen. But Hunters comes this weekend to Amazon Prime. So we're going to go ahead and give it a shot. And you know what? We hope that you do too as well. And if that's the case, let us know. Are you interested in Amazon's Hunters? Are you going to go ahead and give it a shot? Are you going to stick through it? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, my friend, I wanted to ask you this when it comes to GameStop. Because GameStop is something that I know people love it or hate it. They go in there and they're regular customers and they go and they buy and they go and they trade. Or like us, I'm sure you go in on, on seldom occasions and I barely go in there at all these days. I go in there more for the video game apparel than anything. There are just gamers out there who don't even go in at all because they buy everything digital or they just don't like their experience that they've had there. Well, within a matter of minutes, not hours, not days, not weeks, but minutes, there was not one, but two GameStop exposés that were published by IGN and by Polygon. In fact, the one that was done by Polygon was done by Colin Campbell, who was someone I've been fortunate of to interview in the past. So I ask you, with both of those exposés, as it were, coming out within minutes of each other, describing the I should say terrible atmosphere that's currently there because of the fact that their financials are so poor at this point in time and their outlook long-term for their brick and mortar stores, as we've said on the show on several occasions is not good at all. The atmosphere there is really dark and very bleak and it's portrayed onto the desperate, I should quote, you know, quoting one of these articles, desperate nature of the company as a whole and the way it treats its employees and what they're asking the employees to do. So I ask you, my friend, coincidence that these two stories came out 11 minutes apart? I don't know. I, it seems like it's not a coincidence. It feels like somebody on the inside went to both Polygon and IGN with these stories, or there's an angle they're playing. Like maybe it's some kind of outside company paying them to make these exposés on GameStop because they want to finish putting GameStop out of business. The timing of it seems very, very off to me. What went through your mind when you saw these both pop up? I'm going to tell people what I do. When I go ahead and I post interesting news stories, 
each morning. And so usually around in the seven o'clock hour, eight o'clock hour, whatnot, here Pacific Coast time, sometimes even earlier. What I do is I scan most of the major outlets that are out there, Game, game Industry.biz, GameSpot, IGN, Polygon, you know, Variety, Hollywood Reporters. And I go ahead, I throw some of the more interesting stories that are out there, and they go to GameSource on Facebook, or if they go to Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook, I throw those stories there. Well, I was looking, and I saw this one article that came up from IGN about their story on the attitude, what's going on, and the, the dark nature, the bleak outlook. Look for the individuals that work there and the pressure that they're under and the you know the whole nine yards. Okay, okay, this is an interesting story. I looked like oh, it's a good, you know, pretty good article and whatnot. I'll go ahead and post that. And then right after that, I look at Polygon and I see Colin Campbell's article, and I looked at the post date, and it's just a few minutes apart from each other. It can't be coincidence, my friend. It can certainly cannot be, especially the way that these outlets, if you're on the inside, that they know each other, they've worked with each other. You know, a lot of the individuals are colleagues with each other. They, you know, when they're all at E3, they probably pal around and drink beers with each other. So you cannot tell me that it's a quinky dink that Polygon and IGN happen to be putting two relatively equal articles on the depressing state at GameStop within minutes of each other by coincidence. You just can't tell me that's the case. I mean, I, I've interviewed Colin Campbell. He's been very gracious to me. But again, I just, you know, I'm not sure if he would tell me straight up, but I, I just don't think it's a coincidence that these two articles were posted so close in time. Yeah, it sounds like there's either something's going on on the side of Polygon and IGN, or there's some kind of movement inside GameStop to kind of expose this company, which is also weird because doing that would put you out of business unless there's a paycheck behind it. I don't know. There's a lot of strings that could be being pulled right here, you know, and as somebody who like, yeah, I do occasionally go into GameStop. I've been using their four for $10 pre-owned game deals, but it, it's not the store that it once was, you know, and I would much rather go to the mom, pa brick and mortar shops. Like I love retro game stores. You know, we, our good friend Doug, owner of Retro City Games, you know, he's yeah. got a pretty good business going on. Him and Nicole run a great store at both here in Henderson and also right on the Las Vegas Strip. So, yeah, yeah. They, we've never had a problem with them. Yeah. And every, awesome. Every time I've been into a GameStop recently, like I've heard the employees complaining. Like I went to one over in Long Beach down here and they were talking about how, you know, they got these high bills to pay and they work all the time. They don't get paid enough. And then I was at one in the mall a few weeks back and the guy was saying that, like, he was working this shift at this one. And then he had to go work another shift at another one. It feels like there is a lot of unhappiness and a lot of pressure there because a lot of these people don't know if they are going to be having jobs, you know, next week or next month. But where is it all stemming from, you know, is are there really pressures being placed on them? Can't GameStop exist as an entity online also? Like, can't they get into the um, the digital shop deal or, you know, do something like Netflix has done and do do a streaming game service? It just it feels like they're they're trying to be. I don't know. Their games are, are always kind of overpriced, too. Like they're trying to they're not quite sure what they want to be, how much they want to sell things for, what kind of company they want to be. And yes, I can totally see some unhappy employees going to both Polygon and IGN and kind of trying to sell this story to them. 
but it was just very interesting to see how close in time and how close in proximity both were being published. So it kind of makes you wonder what kind of front is being, you know, done or what's being being done behind the scenes at GameStop to go ahead and undermine their own business because it was all about employees with their names being changed for the purpose of the article talking about how the higher ups are putting all this pressure. And I see when I go in there, you, you know, every time you call them, they've got this whole long spiel. I mean, when I was running game crazies, we did have a little bit of a spiel, but it wasn't really that bad because they're going to come into the store anyways, because you treat them well, you treat the customers well at the time of their experience and they'll come back for more. That's the goal. And the problem is you don't go ahead and just bludgeon them to, to death with a whole bunch of you know lines, a whole bunch of spiel and, and things of that nature. People are more apt to go ahead and purchase extra things if you go ahead and make it a comfortable environment for them, not the opposite. But right now, most people that are, according to these stories, most people that are working at GameStops are feeling so much pressure that they're making an uncomfortable experience for their customers. No, I agree. And here's the other thing. Like you go into the mom and pa brick and mortar shops, like especially like I've been to a few down here and the, the people who work there, they actually take the time to talk to you. They want to know, how are you doing? How's your day going? And, you you know, you talk about a certain game like, oh, I love that game. I used to do this, this and this. Or I like, have you tried this, this and this? Like they're more personable. Not every word they have with you. You go to GameStop and all the employees look like they're having a bad day and everything they say to you is designed to sell you a pre-order or uh, or a product or some kind of like game sale they have going on. And their rewards program is a joke. You have to spend $500 to even get like $10 off on something like they have all these loyalty programs and it feels like it's you're getting a good deal out of it, but you're really not. They're trying to make you feel like you have an incentive to shop there, but there isn't really. And even with like their used game sales, you know, they have the four for 10, the four for 20 deal. They have no all none of their games have the cases. You know, it's like if you're a collector, there's not really any point. Just go to a, to a, uh, you know, a mom and pa brick and mortar store because none of these games have the cases in them still, the original cases. It's all paper because they accept, you know, the discs and stuff like that without the original casing. So even as a collector, there's not really a lot of reason to go to GameStop anymore. And that's a shame because GameStop was such a big part of the, well, I say the, the decade of the 2000s where you had the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and even into the Wii where it was just so important you had to go to a GameStop or, you know, where I was working at Game Crazy because we were attached to the Hollywood video stores. And you you had to go there to go ahead and get the latest and greatest. And now because of the changing marketplace and, you know, I know GameStop has tried to get into the digital space. They bought ThinkGeek and that was really a step backwards for them. That really didn't work out very well for them at all because I know they had to not only eat all those costs, but it's just not turned around where people are buying as much pop culture stuff. I know I do, but I only when I go there, I'm only looking for the clearance stuff. So you know, there's probably more people like me out there that are just going there to look for the clearance stuff because all the other stuff that's there is so overpriced. And the fact is that their online business and the digital business itself has not been as friendly or as the way inviting for GameStop as hopefully they were trying to make it out to be. I mean, 
GameStop.com is it's not a place where you go first. You you go to Amazon.com first, even if you pre-order, which these days, you and I know, Josh, is something pre-ordering is not something really you needed anymore. It's not really anything right. that's important anymore. I mean, you can get it. You can get any game you want out there outside of maybe a specialty item, a specialty product. You can get it and really eat with relative ease either from a brick and mortar store like Walmart or Target or whatnot, or just go online, Amazon, and have it shipped to you within yeah. a day, you know, sometimes the next business day. Right. I have ordered Sega games off of GameStop.com. And not only are they all like outrageously overpriced, but every time I buy, like I say I'll buy three games from them, they only ship me two of them. You know, they and they don't they go, oh, yeah, we'll discount your money or we'll get the product out to you. And they never do. So I just got tired of dealing with them and I don't buy things off of their website anymore. It is disappointing to see where GameStop has fallen. But unfortunately, it is part of the business. But you see all these other mom and pop stores or these other stores that are video game specialty stores that are still thriving because they embraced the retro well before GameStop did. I mean, GameStop. Remember a couple of years ago when they tried to really get into retro and they were asking for all this retro stuff in trade or whatnot. And that that was great for a hot minute. Now it's all about technology, and that's something the articles stressed as well. Is that they want your phones, they want your tablets, they want they want your technology items even more so than the games themselves on occasion. So it it's just kind of disappointing where GameStop has come from to where they're going now. I mean, it does look like with all the money that they're losing, because we reported here on this show how many millions of dollars they are losing each and every quarter, that the writing's on the wall, my friend. It's on the wall. It's just a matter of time. And unfortunately, it's a system that's perpetuating in and of itself. It's bad numbers are creating a lot of tension, which is creating a lot of poor customer service which in turn creates more bad numbers. So it's just this vicious circle that's going to continue until there are no more GameStops. And that would be really bad to see. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Like, I, I don't hate GameStop. You know, I do have fond memories of, like, going out and waiting outside their stores at midnight for the latest games to drop and, you know, having that whole community come together. But they don't really have that anymore. And if you go into any GameStop at any given moment, there's not really... If there's anybody in there, it's no more than like two or three people. Even like kids don't play games as frequently as they used to. You know, it's still like the older crowd, like, you know, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, whatever it might be. And they're playing them from home. You know, they don't need to go to the game shop. They get to download them. So all signs are pointing to them going out of business. You even go into a GameStop, right? They've laid off half of the Game Informer staff. And you go into a GameStop, you look at their TVs, and there's just, there's not, a lot happening on them anymore it's one person sitting in front of a green screen talking about something like even the production value of like gamestop tv has dropped significantly so all the signs are pointing to them closing their doors for good and well that would be sad just i don't see them catching on to whatever fads are keeping the mom pa game stores open because they're a corporate run entity you know, even if they try to adopt the whole idea of retro based games, they're a corporate run entity, which means that if they have stock that's not selling, it's going to end up costing them money because they have to deal with distributors. Whereas these mon pa retailers, they can get away with ordering very little and then keeping a giant inventory of used games on hand and not have to pay for those. 
because they used inventory that's where the money is that's where the profit lies right right and so but gamestop doesn't have the luxury of doing that and what's it called when you don't franchise yourself like you can have your franchise but you're allowed to own one by yourself well that's just you know you're just an individual entity you know you're just well, kind of, kind of like how Chick-fil-A's are, right? Like you can own a, or or McDonald's, like you can own your own Chick-fil-A or McDonald's. You just you just have the brand name. If they did something like that, I could see maybe. But then maybe you're franchising it out. You're a franchisee. Yeah, because yeah, then you're then you're using their system of delivery. They're using, you know, it's yeah. a whole thing. When you put, let's say, the hundred, two hundred thousand dollars down to go ahead and open up your own GameStop or open up your own Chick-fil-A or whatnot. You're also asking for their distribution system. You're asking for mm-hmm. their packaging, their uniform, you know, everything down to yeah. their uniforms. You know, you're asking for help with costs with that. So mm-hmm. it is uh, at this point in time, it, it's it got to be like a franchisee or something. But or you could say like a licensee, but, the, you know, it's it's more like a, a franchisee type deal with with GameStop. So, I mean, you because you would be along with just having the name, you would have to probably buy into their whole system and 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 their whole ecosystem and the way they do things. So, because if you have a bad experience at said whatever place, you know, Chick Fil A, GameStop, whatever, that's a single entity like that. That reflects on the whole company. They have to adhere to some of those type of things. Before I we head on out on this GameStop issue, I want to ask you, you know, because this is something that was dear to me when I was running game stores, is that I had people not only who I thought could be very good customer service wise, and I think I had a pretty good crew, but I would also make sure that they know the games, that they would talk about the games. And that's something that I think is is not always there when it comes to GameStop. Have you had those situations where GameStops, you have the individuals that know their stuff, and then the ones that when you're trying to go ahead and pre-order Uncharted 4, you get asked, what system is it on? <laughs> Yeah, it's happened a lot. Like I went in and asked them if they had Halo Wars and they go, what system would you like it on? And you can you can go in there and you can immediately point out the people who do play games versus the people who are they're corporate. You know, they're there because it was a job, you know, in corporate there. They care more about the numbers than they do about the actual games themselves. You can point them out immediately. And because of that, like I just I don't like to talk to people there, you know, and you can even look at the people when they start talking about games like, oh, yeah, you love Last of Us, like Naughty Dog makes some great games. You know, it's you, it's fun. You can do that. You know, they start giving you details on it. And then you look over at like the person who's obviously managing the store. You know, they look at them like we don't have time to talk to customers. You need to get him out the door so that we can help the next person. Like there is pressure. Like I can totally see where that article has a lot of merit. Well, they're out now on IGN and Polygon. Give them a read. But also, look at the time that they both were released out into the wild. It is an 11-minute difference. So, I don't know. I think there was something fishy going on there, something behind the scenes that we're not aware of. It looks like they're getting it from all sides, not only from the customer base, but from general economics, from digital, but also from inside GameStop as well. What are your thoughts on the outlook for GameStop? Do you think, like us, that it's not very good? Are you interested in knowing more about what's going on with the world of GameStop? Let us know. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, it's been a great episode, my friend. I cannot thank you enough for being part of it, as always. But before we head on out, man, speaking of HBO, like we were talking about earlier with Westworld, I got to ask you, my friend, have you been watching McMillions? 
I have not. I remember you mentioning it a couple times, but I have not had the joy of sitting down and watching it yet. Let me ask you this. During the 90s, did you get a chance to play the Monopoly game at McDonald's? Yes, yes. And I always won like free hash browns and fries and things like that, but I never won any money ever. Exactly. Well, the McMillian series that's out and that docuseries, it's three episodes in as we speak about it today. It is really good. It is something that I'm sorry, Rob McCallum, our good friend out there who makes documentaries, but this is something that could be, well, so far it's shaping up to be one of the best docuseries I've ever seen. And it is really some good stuff out there going behind the scenes of the criminal activities, the, the stuff that's going on where, you know what, we can actually say this was 100% fixed on all the, the major prizes that were won and the deep inside and the FBI investigation and what McDonald's knew and didn't know and who exactly was running it and all that. Oh, we're learning more in each and every week. I think it's going to be six episodes long, if I'm not mistaken. There's a great podcast to it as well. So if you get a chance, check it out. McMillions on HBO, Josh, and everyone out there. It is a definite worth watch. It is very intriguing. If you like the true crime, and we were talking about this recently, about the wave of interest in true crime and all that. This is something that will really get you going as far as this concerned. Also, because anybody who's our age or your age or older that played the Monopoly game at McDonald's in the 90s, it makes you really just angry because if you spent all that extra money just trying to get that game piece, the boardwalk game piece or the million dollar winner or the $25,000 winner or the Viper or anything like that, this is going to make you mad while watching it. But it is really, really good. You've made me very curious because now I want to know like why it's going to make me mad. I always had a feeling it was rigged and no one would ever win anything. You just got to watch the series and see where we're at because we're th it is three episodes in as we speak. It comes out every Monday on HBO and it's not McDonald's per se that's guilty. Maybe McDonald's, you know, obviously get some blame into this, but it was something that was very shady. It gets into some pretty heavy-duty criminal stuff. It gets into some pretty nitty-gritty true crime. But it is definitely an interesting watch and one of the best docuseries so far that I've ever seen. So, Josh, any last thoughts on the way out? Any games you're playing or anything else uh, that you want to talk about before we head on out? Very dry time for games. I do want to play Animal Crossing, but that doesn't come out till next month. I'm still playing Dragon Ball Kakarot, and I was telling someone this the other day. It's a very repetitive game. Like, it's not fun. I always thought that it would be fun to have, like, a Dragon Ball Z RPG. And as I'm sitting there playing this game, I'm like, you know, maybe I didn't need that. Maybe that was not, like, the game I was hoping for. Because it, you're literally just playing the cartoon, and I've seen the cartoon at least seven times all the way through. So why am I doing this? You know, what is my motivation? And I even find myself like rolling my eyes at parts that I rolled my eyes at in the cartoon. So I'm about to stop playing this one. That's a shame because you are a Dragon Ball Z fan. So this won't stop the Dragon Ball series from coming out again with something else again very soon. Because again, Dragon Ball Z loves to again come out with stuff each and every year at least seemingly anyways yeah yeah they they'll come out with something they'll come out it'll be an add-on for this or another like dragon ball fighters because that was a huge commercial success for them they're not done they'll come out with something talk about bleeding a series dry 
this one they're gonna make sure that the actual rag with all the blood it's just bone well okay before we go out what do you think about the the uh disney buying dragon ball have you heard anything about that i didn't hear much about that there's like rumors floating around that disney purchased them and they're looking to make this like the next big live action franchise for disney it's rumored to be developing a Dragon Ball C- cinematic universe. So if it ever comes to fashion that Dragon Ball Z and Disney are going to be getting together, that could be a big win, at least for the Disney Plus owners out there, because I don't think this would go really to a cinematic fashion. There's too much of it to do a movie. It feels yeah. like it would have to be some kind of streams, but it would have to have a big budget. That's the thing. Disney, I think they could go ahead and shell out the cost for a Dragon Ball series series, as long as they're doing it right. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. Thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Greetings, Starfighters. It's Sean from the Rusted Robot Podcast. Join me and the Rusty crew as we break down the latest geeky movie trailers, talk about TV, comics, toys, games, casting news, and all things nerdy. Find us on all your favorite podcast apps, the ESO Network, and at therustedrobot.podbean.com. The Rusted Robot Podcast, your source for geek since 2014. The Rusted Robot Podcast. Think about it. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.